Welcome to Stories Out of Time and Space, the sci-fi movie review podcast. I'm your usual host, and I am joining the new flesh. But as also, I'm also being joined by the usual uh, co-host, Julian Darius. Julian, how are you doing? You okay? I'm doing fine. I am in my new flesh body as we speak, and uh, it's not as painful as it first seems. <laughs> yeah, you get used to it. Once the rashes go away, you get used to it. Um. For anyone who's not caught on, today we're going to be talking about the 1983 Cronenberg, David Cronenberg film, which is a Videodrome, uh, starring James Woods as Max Wren, Debbie Harry, which was a bit of a surprise to me, I haven't remembered that, as Nikki Brand, uh, Sonia Smith as Bianca Oblivion, Peter D- uh, Dvorsky as Harlan, Leslie Carlson as Barry Convex, Jack Creeley as Brian Oblivion, and Lynn Gorman as Marsha. Um, we'll get into the plot now in a little bit. But I, such I, I, such a, yeah, well, I I'm wondering what do. the plot summary is going to sound like. <laughs> I've been working, I've been mixing it around in my head a little bit. Saying, I was like, should I do a full summary or should I just do a sort of a like an intro summary? Because I read the blurbs on IMDb, I've got it on, uh, I've actually got it on uh, Arrow Video, so I read the back of that and I was like, okay, how do I, how do I frame this? <laughs> um. What is it? So listen, it, it's basically Max Wren, played by James Woods, uh, runs a grotty little sort of local TV network or TV channel. Uh, and he sort of fills that channel with uh, shows that he uh, purchases from other countries and other areas that he finds using a, a satellite scanner. Um, on one of these occasions, he finds a TV ch- show called Videodrome that appears to be a snuff channel. Uh, and as he investigates it, uh, he finds out that it's more and more it's local uh, and that it could be a government channel. It could be something else. Uh, but in the midst of this is also a conversation he has with uh, a woman called Nikki Brand, played by Debbie Harry, who he starts a relationship with. Uh, and she then sort of becomes obsessed, just as obsessed with Videodrome as well, until uh, it actually takes her as a victim. Um, I'm not going to get into the climax. I think we need to discuss that. Uh, and the question <laughs> of whether or not portions of this film are even real. Um, as in, do you know, what's the context of this? So we'll get into that. But, but Julian, what, what's your ex- first exposure to this film and what are your sort of initial takes on it? Well, uh, I was born in 76. So, mm. you know, I was a little kid when this came out. Um, I saw... You know, I saw The Fly not af- not long after it came out. I saw Naked Lunch not long after it came out later. And it's probably like late 80s when I when I first saw Videodrome. Mm. Uh, you know, so I was an impressionable young lad. And uh, Videodrome was right up my alley. You know, uh, I would go to the video store and just find weird, messed up 
uh, you know, independent stuff. And that's how I found all the old hammer horror films and mm-hmm. stuff and, uh, you know, weird European stuff. Um, but, um, yeah, I, uh, my, I am amazed how much I like this movie. Mm. Um, and, you know, we have talked in the past about like, you know, some movies I really like the second half of, and I'll go back and I'll think, I'm not enjoying this at all. And then we'll hit like hit that second half and I'll just be like, oh yeah, now I remember why I like this. I think the, the first half of this, I basically feel uh, everything is perfect. I love it so much. I'm overjoyed. And I think this is a perfect movie. It's been made for me. <laughs> uh, and then like the second half, it kind of, you know, it's like, well, we got to do something with this plot and it, and it goes in interesting and weird directions. But um, I think it's so transgressive. I, I, I just think it's, it is so brilliantly, you know, transgressive and in your face. And I just love that stuff. Uh, and it occurred to me thinking about it, like it's kind of, we don't have a lot of cinema for adults. Everything I feel like is, you know, kid friendly or kidified. Mm. You know, uh, this is kind of like a Disney Fantasia, uh, you know, excursion for adults <laughs> filled with, you know, sex and violence and, you know, messed up themes. Uh, what about you? No, it's funny to say, because I feel that like, with Cronenberg, he's one of those few directors that like doesn't, you know, he doesn't care. Like He has a vision and he will deliver it, you know. Uh, we obviously did in the last season we did the fly and you know it takes a campy sort of vincent price uh 50s b movie and turns it into sort of like a real shock body horror you know he's done other films like uh, the brood and um uh what's the one with uh, jeremy irons in um uh i forget now but he's, he's he, he's not a sort of like i say he's not so concerned about this being a blockbuster you know what i mean he's not looking to get that the the sort of, as you say, with the MCU or most films, or if you get PG-13, that's the wide audience, you know. Um, yeah, he's got a vision and he's going to deliver it, no matter how messed up it is. Um, I mean, I mean, you know, I'd, I, I'd consider up there with almost with like David Lynch in that, like, you know, he's got to, even if it doesn't make sense to the audience, it's almost a case of like, you sit there watching it, not going... Well, he doesn't know what he's doing. You sit there watching it, going, "I'm clearly not smart enough to be up there with David Cronenberg or David Lynch." Like, you know, you f- you feel like you've got to step up to them, which I think I really enjoy. Um, and that's why I, I agree. I really enjoyed this film because it carries a charm as well as trying to sort of keep you at a distance. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I mean, I would say I I do think Lynch is full of shit. I mean, you know, <laughs> I I watch movies and i'm like well you know i get it you got a few themes you know there's an interesting sequence here but uh you know it largely doesn't work i i work for me and i think it's this sort of superficial i i I think that you know cronenberg um man i mean cronenberg doesn't pull his punches Mm. and he's hit or miss too i mean he's made stuff that i'm not as fond of especially you know in, in the later years but um yeah i mean i i i agree that with this idea of charm. Um, another thing that I thought watching it is that you're about halfway through before anything happens that is not surprising. Yeah. Like, you know, you, you can say, I, I, I mean, sometimes cinema is too, people are too in love with the idea of surprise. Right. Mm-hmm. And just playing things out logically 
can also be enjoying enjoyable especially with uh, a character study and most plots but uh every single line of dialogue in this is just oh my god i can't believe that that's the last thing i would have thought somebody would have said in that situation but it makes sense you mm. know in a weird distorted way and it screws with your brain yeah and well, one of the things is it's sort of like it's when there's you know and again as always we will be getting into this film so there's going to be spoilers um when you get into the reveal at the end uh about uh, brian oblivion you know that sort of third out reveal that goes into I, I i literally had to stop it i paused it because i was a bit like i was going back because the film the earlier in the film um uh, james woods meets debbie harry on on a uh like a talk show mm. And Brian Oblivion appears on a, a, a TV screen. So he actually sort of like screens into um, the the interview, like, you know, like from a from a, a location sort of thing is sort of how it seems to be. Um, and he is interacting as if he is receiving the questions and stuff. But more than that, there's a moment when um, <clears throat> James Woods does something or their, their, their conversation is almost distracting and the, the host refers to it. And Brian Oblivion looks across <laughs> as if to join the host. But you learn later on that all of these are video cassettes and he's been dead for years. And I had to stop and I was like, like was that intentional? And again, I'm already questioning, you know, is that was that on purpose? Was this was this a mistake? Is it continuity error? Is it supposed to throw me? I don't know. But I love it, the fact that I'm asking those questions. Yeah, and I, I just think it's a fun twist. I mm. mean, it's so so mind-bending and creepy and it's like you know he's been dead for 11 years and and you know he does sort of react and he does answer questions and he you know later on he he calls max by name Mm -hmm. in a video um but you know and of course there's also the question of what is a hallucination in this and what isn't um and you know you can kind of say like well max is uh so in tune with what's happening that he is somehow able to see the future or you know that he would record these things and somehow you know his his daughter bianca would happen to pick the tape in which he pauses at the right moment or something but he also seems like a little oddly uh in those recordings like a little oddly non-responsive to the environment Mm. and it switches back and forth right like so he's asked a question and his answer is this kind of like ruminating prophetic thing that only slightly addresses the question and then he'll do he'll do something that seems directly addressed at somebody and you think is that part real yeah you know uh what's going on here because uh, you can sort of accept that when he does those sort of like those monologues about the you know video and the, the you know the life of the tube and all that sort of thing like you can sort of think like you can think about people that exist in TV world today that they just do that like that's their answer is some rambling sort of words out we were just off air we were literally talking about this and politicians but you can imagine someone doing that and the host is going all right okay well that's your answer we'll move on and accepting it so it doesn't sort of seem out the norm it seems right. odd but not out the norm so you sort of just go all right well he's a bit he's a bit eccentric and they carry on, but when you when it's revealed, it obviously makes more sense. Um, but yeah, that that whole piece is is, is interesting, and the whole the whole oblivion thing. And because the thing is, just read them out there, and it's it's interesting that Max is called Max Wren, or James Wood, so it's called Max Wren. And that that does I don't know, it might mean something, but 
some of the other names, um, you know, like you say, that it's beyond it's Brian and Bianca Oblivion. Um, you know, which is I don't know, it's, it, this idea of sort of oblivion, you know, comes up. But also, Nikki Brand is um, is played by Debbie Harry, which is his ends up being his good. They have a relationship, and she's all about becoming a star. You know, she wants to be recognised, and that's why she goes on video. She submits an audition or goes to an audition for Video Drome is to sort of become that sort of star. So I was thinking, like, it, even their names, like brand, like she wants to become a star. She wants to be a brand. Um, yeah. I, you know, I was like, oh, I, I could be completely miles up. I was like, Cronenberg's playing with these names. Yeah, and I, I mean, you know, ultimately, you know, I sort of think of this as taking place in the near future because mm. uh, it's not really recognizable in some ways. But you know, I mean, I love it. it I love the uh, the cathode ray mission yeah. that the Oblivion. <laughs> I mean, they do say that wasn't their original name, and Brian Oblivion said, you know, this is my TV name. You know, mm. um, but Nikki Brand. You know, and she hosts the emotional rescue show. Yes. Uh, you know, like, I mean, th these are just outre weird ideas. And I feel like Brian Ob Oblivion, I always feel like he's a character out of network. You know, mm. like he's one of those guys who they put on like, you know, the, the mousy tongue hour, you know, in the, in the background, you know, with Brian Oblivion, Oblivion <laughs> you know, the mad prophet of TV, you know. <laughs> Yeah, it's true. I mean, the, the whole thing with Nikki Brand, when you get a snippet of her radio show, like you, you know, he, uh, Max goes to visit her and you hear her given advice. Like, she's not, like, I'm not going to say she's not good, not good at it, but it's sort of, um, it, she, I, I can't remember fully what she's basically just telling someone to leave somebody else, isn't it? Like, you know, it's, it's not, it doesn't feel like she's being uplifting. Or, or mm -hmm. like you know, rein, um, reinforcing positivity. It's almost like you know, emotional rescue would be basically sort of like stand up for yourself, you know, dust yourself off and carry on a little bit, but with a little bit more, you know, pizzazz. Um, yeah, she never comes across as the caring type, and even if she does, it's all for show because then you learn. Obviously, she's into say, you know, uh, someone sort to say, masochism and, and other things. Um, and so there's this, there is this thing of, of, like you say, the TV name. So this thing of having a, the personality as well as the, the real person um, as two different two different entities. Yeah, I, I kind of think that that Nikki, at least until she goes to Videodrome and then she, you know, uh, has apparently been killed mm -hmm. and is appearing on TV. And it's pretty clear that that is, you know, all hallucination. Um you know, the real Nikki seems to me to be the most stable character. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, I, I kind of feel like, you know, the emotional rescue show, uh, there's this kind of theme of how disconnected all of the characters are from their emotions mm. um, and, and, and from reality. Um, you know, and I don't know that this isn't, you know, a correct cultural uh, critique that, you know, I mean, I remember... You know, in the 80s, what you did was you just uh, your parents gave you like a TV dinner and, you know, you sat there and watched like family ties and that was dinner, mm. you know, like a TV raised all of us, <laughs> you know, um, and and all of those characters are kind of cut off. And and yeah, she is really into S&M. Mm. But but what's interesting is like, 
she's not uh, traumatized by it. Like you don't get the sense that it's like, oh, she was raped as a kid and that's why she's into this or something. No, I agree. Um, yeah. She seems okay with it. And James Wood seems like a prude about it, mm. even though he wants like, you know, to broadcast snuff films. Yeah, that's a good point, actually. Yeah, because she, like I say, seems most stable. Like, she's the one that seems to be most accepting of who she is, and, and sort of like, yeah, I, I'm in this for the pleasure and the the pain and the pleasure of it is what I get, you know, I get my kicks from it, sort of thing. And uh, yeah, I mean, the, the James Woods character in this is 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 interesting because he is a sleazeball, and that's the thing. Like, you know, he, he is a bit of a sleazeball, but it, I I sometimes find it hard to get a grasp on him. Because it's sort of like, you know, as an anti- uh, a protagonist, they usually, you know, if he's an anti-hero or a hero or whatever, like he's not that. He's not. He doesn't seem to have like a moral center that's guiding him. He's just sort of like, he he just experiences the film with us in in many ways. Um, yeah, you know, it's sort of things just happen. I mean. Um, he gets given things constantly. Like he he wants to know more about Videodrome, but he never really does. Oh well, firstly, he never does any of the research because he's got Harlan, who's his um, tech savvy sort of um, person, and then Marsha, who gets, and he, he gets given stuff constantly, doesn't he? Sort of like, and uh, so it's it's like he is fed things like the cassette tapes. Oh no, it's not the sorry, they're not cassette tapes; they're Betamax. Um, and then when obviously the twist at the end, when you find out that Harlan's a part of it, um, I think, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, he's part of the, the, you know, he's part of the. I mean, there are two factions, right? Mm. That kind of eventually emerge. There's the, there's the sort of, um, there's the video drum hat faction that is run out of. I don't know. It's it's, it's strange, right? Because it, it, that's run out of the optical shop. Yeah. Um. And it, and it, there's an optical company that is apparently, you know, I mean, if you believe this, right? I mean, the idea is that the Videodrome broadcast. I mean, there's this brilliant business of like uh, Brian Oblivion saying that uh, I believe the hallucinations cause the tumor and not the other way around. Mm. It's so obviously insane, but deliciously so. And, you know, the idea is that somehow these these broadcasts, you know, are causing a tumor. Brian Oblivion believed that it was, um, you know, it was, um, you know, growing a new organ mm. that would make us adapt to this mass media landscape <laughs> uh, of filtered reality. And Brian Oblivion worked with these other people. He tried to take the Videodrome technology for himself and they killed him, uh, except... Isn't it? Is it? Is it Nikki who seems? It seems to be Nikki who's killing him in that video. Um, yeah, she she's the one. That, yeah, that's what I, That's how it's her that's revealed. She <laughs> takes the mask off, the hood off, and it's Nikki. And I was like, because right. you see, so again, like, is that that must be a hallucination? Um, yeah. Does it matter? I mean, no. You know, like, and yeah. So you know, there are these factions. I mean, and then the the uh, Bianca Oblivion seems to have turned against. Videodrome and the legacy of her father. And by the end, like, you know, James Woods, you're right. I mean, he's kind of a cipher. Uh, although I love, I love his character. We'll get mm. into that in a little bit. But, you know, by the end, he's just like a Manchurian candidate assassin for, you know, the Videodrome crowd and the, you know, the uh, uh, optical shop. And then he is sort of 
converted into an assassin for Bianca. And yeah. honestly, he has no agency. No, but yeah, that's the th- and that's what I find so fascinating. Like, is it literally like because when you meet him to begin with at the start of the film, um, and he's he's running this channel and he's obviously making these decisions, and then you find out that he's picking up, um, you know, he s- literally scans the world like using this satellite to find dodgy TV shows, and then he'd be like, "Oh, that's good, right? Who owns that? Right, let's go find it." Can we firstly can we pirate it without any problems? And if we can't, who do I go buy it off? Because you you see him go to meet, um. I can't remember if they're Japanese or Chinese, I can't remember, but that sounds really bad. But he mm-hmm. goes to meet some Asian guys to buy, I think it's Japanese, isn't it? Because he goes to buy um, some cassettes, again, because, oh, we've got 18 episodes of this thing, and, you know, uh, do you want them all? He's going to have to make, make a deal so he can broadcast this show. And I, I like the fact that, like, up until that point, I'm like, oh, like you say, he seems to have agency, because he's actually, like, doing stuff. Like, he is running the, sh- the channel. And it's obviously through him that is like he sees, or Harlan sees it allegedly, or allegedly sees it first and introduces him to it, <clears throat> a video drone. And so I'm expecting him to like be, um, this is what you said about being surprising. Like I'm expecting him to um, be the sleaze bag that like you know almost has a redemptive arc, where by the end of it he's trying, he has made the decision to bring down video drone or something like that. Yeah, that doesn't happen. <laughs> like, he, literally become, <laughs> he literally becomes a pawn of two other groups that you don't even know about till about you know two thirds of the way into the film. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think I think this is a movie that is uh, you know more interested in ideas than a coherent narrative, mm-hmm. and uh, but those ideas are so strong. Um, you know, uh, going back to you know, to uh, Max Wren, I, I, you know, the movie starts with his wake up call, right? He gets these like mm. videotapes that play to wake him up. So like even his, you know, and it's not clear and it's civic TV, right? There's nothing civic about what he's doing, <laughs> um, you know, and he starts his day. I mean, this is just, I, I just love how transgressive this is. He starts his day by looking at black and white porn photos. Like, for, yeah. why does he even have these? And then eating like old, disgusting pizza. You know, you're just like this guy is a bum. You know, uh, and like, then he he goes to go ahead. I was gonna say I like the reveal though about those photos because uh, you do find mm-hmm. out that they are snapshots, but they were publicity shots that he was sent of the TV show that he goes to buy from uh, the, oh, the Asian man. guys. Um, and I like the fact that basically he, they've sent him almost like the, the most explicit shots from the TV show to get him hooked. And so, cause he, I like the question. He, he makes a really good question. He says, right. At what point can people jump onto this show? Like, you know, cause they're obviously I'll, I'm happy with the boobs and the, 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 you know, the TNA of it all's fine. When can, you know, when can people jump onto it? And the guy, the, the guy's selling like, Oh no, no, you need to watch it from episode one. And he was like, no, 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 no. My audience is not watching episode one. Like they'll jump on this like <laughs> six or seven episodes in, um, and I love the fact that it is that again. Like you know, because again, this is it's you know it's filmed in the eighties, it's early eighties, so there's no TiVo, there's no streaming. It's all sort of like if you missed that episode, you've missed that episode because um, that you know you might do reruns at some point. Um, and so yeah, those shots. I love the fact they've enticed him by saying, "Yeah, look how filthy. We know what your channel is. Look how filthy this show is." So. Um, yeah, people seem to know what he is about. Yeah, and what what's interesting is, I mean, I, I think you know all of all of the you know early stuff is just so uh, flabbergasting. I mean, like when he goes to see the you know when he goes to see the Japanese man, 
there's a domestic argument in nearby yeah. apartment. You know? Yeah, and it's just like this is right at the. I mean, everything is just shocking and, mm. and weird, and uh, they're having that conversation about you know about playing samurai dreams, and you know they're in the production meeting, and he says, you know, can we get away with it? Do we want to get away with it? You know, he seems like even in that uh, interview show, he seems um, he seems. Uh, very cynical, mm-hmm. but but he's like, look, man, I'm the underdog. We need to uh, get eyes. We need to get an audience. And that means playing stuff that's shocking and pushing the envelope. And he doesn't even seem to be really interested in it himself. Yeah. Uh, he, obvi- he has some kind of interest in finding that material. Uh, but, you know, he'll say like, you know, yeah, I mean, this is what I got to do. I'm a small network. He and especially again with Nikki, he seems prudish in real life. You know, everyone kind of assumes that he is the guy who watches snuff films and, mm. and porn. Uh, and he's got porn, but I mean, he's not. Uh, he's not really that guy. No, no, what I find interesting is it's never clear what his end game is. Like you know, because all the stuff he's doing, like you say, it's small fry. He's trying to get eyes. I mean, it's clickbait. I mean, you know, this is clickbait before it was clickbait. <laughs> um, Good point. He, he's trying to get sort of eyes on the channel, but at no point does he explain like, "Well, I'm doing this so that I can move on to the big boys. Like, I want to move and work for NBC. I want to go and work for so and so. Like, so if I can do this here, I can go there. Like, at no point do you understand. It just seems to be the grind. He's just like, look, I've got this channel or this network, and it's what pays my bills, it's what's, it's where I'm at, I've just got to keep it going, so this is how we do it. Like, you know, it's almost like, a, the cynicism of it all is like, he seems to have accepted his lot as well, like, you know, of just moving forward with this channel. Like, there's no thing of saying, well, at some point I want this channel to do something different, you know, like, oh yeah, we're going to introduce, um, you know, I don't know, he'd be the kind of channel that would show, like, reality TV 24-7, that sort of thing, but there's no thought of it of the channel itself being pro- progressive, you know, that he's not going to develop anything himself. Um, it just seems like, yeah, he never, he never says something like, you know, well, we're doing this to get eyes. We're not going to do this forever. Once we have an audience, you know, we can have the money and make, you know, mm. yeah, you're right. And there's a, you know, like the rule about characters of just letting people know what they want, mm. right? Like you can often boil down a character to what is it that they want? Don't know what anybody wants in this entire movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that's true. Cause not even you know, when you find out what the video drone, because it's a sh- <clears throat> it's a show, but it's more about the uh, I don't know the, like the subliminal element of it, but it's the it's the um, you know the the waves or whatever that's going out the sort of, to do that channel, the signal, I suppose. It's to prepare for something, but like, at no point do you really get a grasp of like what well, again what the end goal of that is. You know, like, is it, is it like, it's a conspiracy, but I, I, I never really sort of, unless I missed it, it was sort of like, you know, is, is it world domination? Is it just preparation for something else? Like, it never feels like. Yeah, that's it, not explained. I mean, you know, the uh, the optical people say, you know, the signal's not done yet, right? Mm. There's something in the signal that causes this brain tumor and causes you to have hallucinations. And, you know, most people have died before, you know, or gone crazy before James Wood. So they put that helmet on him. Um, but, you know, to record his hallucinations and, you know, 
you never see him leave. So it's not clear whether mm. the rest of the movie That's... could all be a hallucination. And that was going to be my question. Like, that, yeah, we'll get to that bit because that was going to be my big sort of like pivoting question was like, is the third act even real? Because it sort of like transitions into a whole bunch of sort of, um, you know, you, you see it transfer through his lens. Like you see him watching like a digitized screen and it becomes the real screen. And mm. like you say, you never actually see him take the helmet off and leave properly. So is any of it real after that point? it becomes really yeah. weird and and most of the like body modification uh you know it, it, i mean this movie is famous for like a, a number of sequences but you know one is you know cronenberg's body horror mm. and that you know uh max develops this uh you know so almost a vaginal like slit in his stomach that is really you know organic and and he he sticks his hand in and you know puts a leaves a gun in there which he then retrieves uh you know and and it seems to be that it is not just a storage for gun but it's like a videotape slot that interfaces with these pulsing you know videotapes that you know like man and media are becoming one this is the new flesh yeah um it's uh, most of that stuff is after the the helmet right it is, yeah, yeah, and that's it because you know it's it sort of well, it 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 finally becomes a, a sort of a full gash, uh, or that's a horrible word, but yeah, full a full <laughs> slot, or whatever you want to call it, um, after the helmet. But it's sort of alluded to beforehand because I think when the first mm-hmm. time he's watching Videodrome at home on the sofa and stuff, uh, mm. towards the, like you, he is, he's like scratching his stomach and there's almost like a scar sort of a, or a rash sort of form in there. So again, is it is it you know something that's just growing or yeah. changing? I don't know. And actually, that's in that scene, it does open, and that's mm. when he he loses the gun inside mm. himself. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so that that is before, but I mean again that that could be a hallucination um but i i don't know i think i think like ultimately i don't know that it matters i don't know no. you know uh does it does it matter what's real um you know, know something like like total recall you can you can do that and you can kind of say oh okay all right it, it it's pretty clearly all not real mm. um but and you can play it out whatever way you want, right? I mean, it, it is A or B, and that makes sense, and you can debate the relative merits. Here, it's just like, where the hell are we anyway? You know, go yeah. along for the ride on this, you know, uh, you know, hallucination-inducing pharmacopoeia of a movie. Yeah, and that's true. Like you, you do, is it? It's an experience, isn't it? I mean, it, it, they say it's not really a plot-driven film because there's no real resolution either. Um, because uh, if if it is real, then I assume after his obviously that's just not spoil it. He dies at the end, so like after the end of the film, that battle between you know Videodrome and and the Oblivions would probably continue in some format. Like this seems like a you know they, they, there's a guy called Barry uh, Convex, uh, mm-hmm. which again great last name because he deals in glasses. <laughs> yeah. Um. Like he kills him, like he is targeted. Like the, the you know, Bianca Oblivion gives him this mission to go uh, to. And again, like I love the fact that there's there's a, there's a glasses convention. Like they're they're launching. Mm-hmm. A, they have like dancers and all sort of stuff in order to launch a uh, a line of, of glasses, uh, which I'm sure happens. I can't believe it. Does. You know, I can sort of see that happening. Most industries want to do something special, but then he does. He takes him out. 
you know, in this, he's got you said, this Manchurian candidate way, like, you know, he's activated as an assassin. Um, and all that, like, I'm wondering, like, you know, is firstly, because I'm like, it's so ridiculous that you have these dancers going around <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> on this stage, like, in glasses and stuff. I'm like, this is too bizarre to be real. Um, well, it's also like Renaissance theme because the line is <laughs> yeah. Medici, you know, and, that's, and yeah. so it's like glass people with glasses, but they're all sort of like doing, you know, Shakespearean things and, you know, uh, all this kind of stuff. It's so bizarre. Yeah, uh, it's great. though. I do. I do like it. I was like, you know, because again, like this film, as you said, there's so much in this film that you just in, I, I enjoy everything about it in many ways. Um but th this is the point when he pulls the gun out. And when he pulls it out this time, it's not just him pulling out a gun. Like, it's molded to his hand in some sort of, like, biomechanical way, um, you know. And because um, that's already happened once. Like, you've seen the gun is sort right. of, like, molded and, and gripped like, and pierced through his hand. But now it's, like, some sort of, like, <laughs> huge, like, you know, um, it would make H.R. Giga happy to see, really. But you know that doesn't leave. Like, you know, every time then he has the gun after that, it's mm -hmm. with this molded sort of like biomechanical sort of arm, um, and that sort of that leads to the final of the film. And that's where I'm thinking like, is there a version of this then? If you were to, you know, like I say, could you watch these events where someone just those other people in that crowd are just watching this nutter run up to the, the audience just holding a gun? You know, he's yeah. seeing his hand all oh, molded, yeah. and they're like. You know, he he's talking about the new flesh and all this other stuff, and there's going like, what is this guy talking about? He's clearly crazy. Yeah, I thought that too. I mean, it, it is really clear that like that gun has to be. It's either a hallucination or it is part of this like weird new organ body transformation mm. thing, right? I mean, which if you take literally, I guess, but it appears and disappears. I mean, you see his hand without the gun in it molded you know with those tendrils yeah. that you watch it you know like in mm. slow motion gross going through his hand but yeah i had the exact same thought like can you imagine these people at the convention yeah. like a guy rushes onto the stage shoots this optical guy who who you know maybe he's the part of video game mm. maybe this, that's all a hallucination <laughs> and a, a guy shoots this guy on stage after this song and dance number and then goes to the microphone and screams Death to video drum, long live the new flesh. Yeah. And you're like, I I will appear for Medici glasses. You know? <laughs> yeah. And then it's such a brilliant, uh, just a brilliant little little thing. As he's leaving, you hear uh you know the uh well convex is uh when he's shot, to for some reason, you know, tumors grow within him, and you yeah. see like kind of Cronenberg-esque, like they burst through his head. And it's so gross. And he's kind of gurgling the whole time. And and so when uh, when Max leaves through the lobby and is making his assassins, you know, escape, you hear that gurgling on, like, the PA system. And mm. it's clear, like, it's just such a nice little touch. Like, his mic's still on. And yeah. everybody at this convention has just witnessed this assassination. And they're hearing his gurgling death, you know. Well, this is where, this scene is where, like, you know, I, I'm trying to determine... Is is this um, all real or is this uh, a hallucination? You know, and, and like I say there there is a point when you go, it doesn't matter. You know, it's that sort of thing. Um, weirdly, the, this made me think of They Live, um, the the um, John Carpenter film, that thing of like you know the alien invasion because there went because 
a lot of what you, you what we have experienced uh, has been with Max. Mm-hmm. So Max has seen what we have seen. So you know, so whenever things have gone weird, so. Uh, when he's back at the apartment and the TV is pulsated and he ha- you know he's seen like Debbie Harry on there being murdered and all this other stuff or um when he thought it was it was Debbie Harry then he thought it was Marsha you know there's all these all these weird things have happened even not the gun and everything like he has been there and the only time that he isn't there but we get to see it is when that guy erupts in and sort of goes all raids mm-hmm. of the lost ark um and I'm like I was thinking like He's not here for this, so is it supposed to be a hallucination? And that was that was you know it's one of those films that say you go off on all kinds of theories. I'm like, oh god, they're aliens, or he's gone through to the new flesh, or I I didn't know, but I was like, well, this is the first time in this film that you are seeing something, and Max isn't there to experience it with us. He's gone, Mm -hmm. Um, and that's when I was like, I think this is real. Yeah, I think it's I think it's a hallucination. I mean, I can't Mm -hmm. imagine you know. That, that how is that possibly real i mean the tumors right e- even according to the movie's own logic the tumors um grow when you're exposed to the videodrome signal mm. uh barry convex has um rigorously avoided being exposed to it because he knows what it does so but you, how, yeah, but you, you know but maybe you that gun injects tumors into you but yeah, but, you, you, but know. you don't know who barry convex is and this is what we're saying right. about because the thing, the whole thing is like you, you know, Videodrome is based out of like you say this place in Pittsburgh or wherever the hell it's, it's supposed to be, like wherever the, the the channel's coming from. But you don't know who's creating it. Like at some point, you you know, there's an it sort of could be alluded to that it's um, a government thing or or whatever. But all I could think of is that the reason it made me think of like they live is because thinking like. How do I not know that this isn't some sort of alien invasion film that we don't know about? And actually, that's just how they die. That sort of, to me, it could you know, I'm sure like there could be mm. as we talked about when we talked about Interstellar and Interstellar, sorry, Inception. You know, the moments mm. and you can go, there's the spin, there's the spinning top at the end that doesn't fall over, so you can sort of interpret that, or you know, you can tell when he's in a dream because he's got a watch on or, he, or his ring on, sorry, and he hasn't. Done that. But there must be a way of doing that potentially with this film. But the fact is, I think I in, for me. All because I was debating, it's like, what's a hallucination? What's not a hallucination? What's he seen? What hasn't he seen? But the, every time we've seen something, and I'll stand on, I'm going to stand by this now. Every time he sees, we have seen yeah. something that could be a hallucination. Max has been there, um, and I'll have to probably rewatch it in a lot more detail to really see if this works. But that he isn't there for, and so it made me think, like, well, what is Barry Convex? How do we know he's human? Yeah, no, I mean, you know, you're you're right. I mean, that's a I haven't thought about that, but it's perfectly possible that, you know, like some alien technology is how all this weird body mm. transmorgification occurs. Um, I, I, I guess I think that like, you know, you're right that, you know, he, Max is not in that scene. I guess I think that like we're shown, I don't know, you know, it's like when we're shown stuff that is not exactly a point of view, you know, like mm. you're looking across the street, you're seeing stuff that, somebody isn't seeing and i know that in cinema you know there's a difference but still uh you know i don't know i mean you know he he could be in a vat somewhere hallucinating you know all of this Mm. Uh, i i do kind of like the idea that like there is a version of this narrative in which basically max 
finds this this messed up signal, right? Becomes obsessed with it. It's just a, a, a messed up signal, right? It's just it really is, you know, a show that's that's being broadcast somewhere. I find that a fascinating concept, but that basically, uh, you know, he goes crazy, mm. and you know, there isn't like that the optical place. It's it's an eyeglasses company. Yeah. It is not. Yeah. It's not involved in video drum, <laughs> right? But at some point in his you know mind he decides that it is and he you know uh first of all shoots kills his uh his own office mates you know um you know kills his own mm. people at the studio there's that wonderful scene where his secretary thinks he's been shot mm. and you know it thinks she's rescuing him and he's of course holding the gun and you know the his wound you know his body uh transmorphication and then he like runs away and there's that wonderful turn in her eyes as she realizes like, you know, oh, yeah. the victim is the perpetrator. Yeah. Uh, uh, but I mean, there's a version of this film in which like, no, he's just gone crazy. He's mm. shot up his office and then he's, you know, he's got a pro he thinks that an optical, you know, company is involved in, you know, <laughs> making brain tumors on people uh, that cause them to transform and see the new flesh and all of this. And he's, kills this optical guy at a convention and then winds up shooting himself on a boat you know that's a pretty realistic narrative <laughs> mm. and you know i think it would have been a bit of a kicker if they found in the autopsy that he did have tumors tumors in his brain and again you get to that sort of brian oblivion of like where brian oblivion's like no no the channel gave me the tumors and you know that thing of like no, no the tumors gave him the paranoia that drove him to the to this delusion um that was probably triggered by something. Yeah, it, you know, I think you can, that's what I like, you can read this film in so many ways. Because there's so many little, like you say, there's so many little oddities that you can sort of get into. Like there's a guy that stands on the street who is almost like a modern um, organ grinder in their monkey. Because he has, this, all he's got is a TV. And he basically, <laughs> and he's sort of saying to people, sort of like, I'll, you know, give me some money and I can, you can watch my TV. Yeah. Uh, and I'm like, even, I'm like, maybe it's just a modern lens. I'm like, even then, actually, I don't think I'd have done that. That's weird. Um, yes. When he says, like, these, these, you know, like, the batteries that power this little TV aren't free, mm. you know, like, puts up, at least put some money in the pot or something. But, I mean, it's so bizarre. You're right. I mean, even in those days, I mean, television was ubiquitous by, mm. by 83. But, you know, go to a window of a TV store or yeah. something. Um, <laughs> well, he stood yeah, next but, I mean, He stood over the road from one. That right. Was... No, I, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, and but I, I love the idea that like even the I don't know, it's a kind of like network thing. Like, what are we doing to ourselves? Mm -hmm. You know, it's like even the panhandlers, you know, are part of the mass media environment, you know? Yeah. 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 Well, and obviously that's sort of a big part of this film is is the, the this idea of, of the, you know, um, pervasiveness of mass media. Even in 83, you know, there's this idea of like it's in everybody's home, um, you know. It, it's it's it has a corrupting element it can do this it can do that so yeah i don't know i don't know was cronenberg ahead of the curve were people already sort of feeling that the t that tv was the idiot box and it was sort of corrupting a, a generation well people were saying that in the 50s i mean mm. you know and and now you know i mean i i think network was ahead of its time network mm. is the one that really is insanely you know predictive uh i think this is you know strikes me as more of a commentary but um 
you know, and of course today it's like people thought that in the fifties, you know, I always tell people when they get all, uh, high and mighty about how like the kids don't read anymore. Hey, I'm a writer. I, you know, yeah. I, I sympathize, but, uh, you know, and, and, you know, prose is, uh, struggling, but having said that, you know, I mean, every kid has a computer in his pocket that, you know, you want to learn how to do something. You just pop on YouTube and there's an instructional video. Yeah. I mean, we live in an amazing world and that media is good, but you know, I mean, it is changing us. Mm -hmm. And I, I think the reality is that uh, people will say like, Oh, you know, the kids are so dumb. Well, no, the kids are as smart or smarter than we were, but they're insanely brilliant at, uh, at uh, mass media. They're, mm -hmm. you know, they, take longer they don't understand like metaphor in uh prose the way we did right yeah. that was just a skill you learned mm -hmm. but on the flip side you know you give them uh you know video literacy they understand stuff that our brains just don't mm -hmm. because we didn't grow up with it it's not second nature to us so you know we're we're processing different media but it's not that one is superior uh, but it is changing our brains. It is changing how we see things and, and conceive of ourselves in the world. No, I think you're right. And I think it's, it's um, one of the things that um, it's changing again, it's, it's just to, to go on that thing about kids and stuff is, you know, it, it, you and I sort of only a few years apart, but, we were, you know, in school in the same period, it was very much about teaching you facts. You know, mm -hmm. your core elements, are, you know, math, science, English, and all that kind of stuff, was about teaching you facts, especially in the sciences. You know, sort of like, well, this is chemistry, and here's the periodic table. This is how it works. Here's physics, gravity. You know, carry on, sort of like that's those sorts of things. And I think more and more with the, with the you know, because if you wanted to research something, it was like, okay, you had the Encyclopedia Britannica, um, <laughs> yeah. or you know, so, you know, you had to go to the library. Like researching wasn't an easy thing when I was a kid or, you know, when we were kids now, as you say, I know I've got a seven year old and I know for a fact, if I could be like, you know, well, I wonder what that is. And she'd be like, ask Siri. <laughs> uh -huh. Exactly. Or, 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 as you say, can we watch you? She will literally, uh, we saw something recently on holiday. We were talking about sharks and she just said, can we see a video to explain, you know, to have a look at sharks? Yeah, of course you can. And that's it. You know, they've got that, as you said, that, that information is at their fingertips where they can be, like, mm -hmm. and then within five minutes, she's watched something. She now understands, that, uh, you know, that sharks can live. I think we, we learned about a shark that's four hundred years old. Mm -hmm. I, I didn't know that before. I would never have thought to look for that. But, you know, <laughs> it is. It's, but it's there in the palm of my hand. How long before it is literally there in the palm of my hand? You know, take away the the, the physical separate oh, device. Yeah. You know, here it goes a separate device. How long before that is a part of me and becomes literally the new flesh? Well, um, it's going to happen. I mean, uh, we already have, um, I mean, people have been talking about like smart clothing for years, right? But I mean, we already have... You sound like um, my mum. <laughs> what? You sound like my mum. She's always telling me to wear smart clothes. <laughs> oh, <laughs> well, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> but, but, you know, uh, yeah, you know, what's amazing is if, like, if our ancestors dug up our skeletons, they would say we're already cyborgs. Uh, you know, we have pacemakers. Mm -hmm. We have artificial hips. We are already altering our bodies in in radical ways, and and that will continue. Mm -hmm. There's no need to. Uh, 
I mean, increasingly the the computer, you know, we're, what we're seeing with you know Siri and Alexa is, um, you know, the computer becoming like Star Trek, becoming like invisible, and there's no reason to not. And obviously, you know, you have your data on the cloud, so it's like you can go anywhere and ask, you mm-hmm. know, your computer assistant, and it knows your personality and you know your your search patterns, and you know, customizes an answer for you. I think what's interesting, like what's interesting when you talk about like learning facts is I think about like what history was. History was like learning, you know, uh, you know, dates and, mm-hmm. you know, facts of, you know, all right, well, this is William the Conqueror in 1066, you know. Um, but now it's like you, that is the most irrelevant information. Yeah. That is the easiest thing to get. What we need to teach now is information literacy to be able to discern what's bullshit and, you know, what's a real source. and we just have not caught up. And so people look at, you know, www. you know, satanic conspiracies.com <laughs> and think it has the same weight as CNN. You yeah. Know? No, that's true. It is. And it's funny to say it because that sort of, uh, when I did, I did a history degree at uh, university. And I remember one of the first things they said to us uh, in that, one of my first lectures was this degree is not going to teach you facts. We're going to teach you how to interpret facts from your sources. That was the point. It was sort of like, as you said, like yeah, we know for a fact that the Battle of Hastings took for, took part, you know, uh, in ten sixty six. It happened on that year. We know that for a fact because of written uh, statements of the time. But there is more in thing around, you know. All right, well, what happened to Harold Hardrader? What happened about the relationship between? you know, uh, the invading forces, the Norman conquest and the people of Britain, blah, blah, blah. Right now we want you to go away and interpret that and come up with your own opinion about that relationship and, you know, all that sort of, and that's the difference, isn't it? It's sort of, are you going to regurgitate facts or are you going to use those facts and other sources to form an opinion about what happened? Um, and I think you're right. I think that's that next stage, isn't it? Of using the information that's there. Right. And I I come from, you know, uh, English degree and, you know, that was exactly the same thing. You know, you, you know, the people who I've never understood people who like, well, you know, memorize quotes from Shakespeare. Right. You know, go F yourself. okay, you know, I can look that up. It doesn't impress me, you know. Um, But uh, what what impresses me is and what you teach is you teach people's ability to just pick up a book, read this, whether it's pro, whether it's fiction or not, and rhetorically understand what it's doing, mm. you know, w- to understand its place in, in literary history and to be able to make objective factual statements about it, but also have an insightful subjective analysis and understand what parts of that analysis are more or less objective than others. That is an unbelievably complex task. Mm. And, you know, we still have people saying, you know, it's all it's well, it's all subjective, isn't it? Well, no, it's not, (laughs) you know, Uh, you know, um, but, you know, I don't know. We've uh, we've digressed on. But to be fair, though, one of the things we sort of we bring back to the film, though, one of the points we've made is this this ability to discern, uh, you know, let's say truth from information or at least sort of level of fact. And then we talk about Max Wren as a character who clearly doesn't have that ability. Like, you know, he, he I know he has these, these hallucinations 
and some of them are wild. Like, you know, they're, they're, like you say, like when the TV's pulsating and there's other bits going <laughs> on. Um, and like you know, he sees... he basically has sex with the TV. Yeah, basically. <laughs> um, but there's um, there, there are moments in this, like you say, where he is giving himself into. Like we said, like he's a cipher through this whole film. Like he's not a protagonist. Like he he doesn't have any agency. But in many ways, that's because he can't discern fact. Like he is letting other people constantly give him a piece of information, and he is either reacting or acting on that. You know, at no point does he stop and question anything. Really, he just keeps sort of going. And, and um, you know, at no point. Does he, you, you, there are points in when you would just go, just stop for a minute, and you know, think and consider. But like you say, because he's been driven off a bit of a, an insanity cliff. But like you say, he is he has not got that ability, you know, to to discern uh, or, or or decipher information. Like to him, it all becomes truth because, and that's the problem. Like he goes down that spiral, it all becomes truth. Um, and unfortunately, as a viewer, you then sort of you're lost as lost. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, what what do you make of the uh, all, all the sort of psychosexual elements in this? Um, I suppose you could read it as Cronenberg needs needs some uh, alone time, maybe, but. <laughs> um, I don't know. It's interesting because again, like you say about sort of Debbie Harry, sort of you know the, the Nikki Brand character, like she's quite comfortable in her sort of sexuality, of sort of being that uh, into the pleasure pain thing. Um, but then it, it sort of the there almost becomes I don't know. Does he become obsessed with her? But there is a sort of a um, like when she appears on the TV, as you would talk about the fact he sort of ends up basically having sex with the TV. Um, and other things, I don't know. It's it's. Again, how far away is it from dream and just that sort of element of like, yeah, you know, you have some sort of sexual dream or fantasy or whatever. It's it's a part of our our makeup, isn't it? You know, mm-hmm. um, but it, it, it sort of, I'm not sure. It seems to focus around certain things. I mean, at one point, the fact that he confuses her with Marsha at one point um, is interesting as well, like his secretary. Um, mm-hmm. And again, you sort of go, okay, well, what's that relationship all about then? Because he reacts to that in an interesting way. Um, I don't know what are your thoughts. Uh, I don't know. I mean, like we, we were talking about how um, you know, sort of worry about media, right? Like you know, the, the idiot box, you know, that sort of thing. And you know, we're every generation is worried about it. They're worried about cell phones now. I still hope people gripe, you know. And and there's truth to it. I mean, I, I object when people don't have a conversation, you know, I mean, if I'm talking to you and you get on your cell phone for more than just checking a text message and getting off, I'm pissed off, mm-hmm. um, you know, and I don't do that. But yeah, I think that the sex thing kind of is similar in a way to me. Like, I think that it it seems to stem from an idea that we are always pushing the envelope, you know, and. I mean, even in, in current TV, you can kind of see, uh, you know, an evolution from show to show. And you think like, oh, well, you know, boy, remember when like Sopranos was shocking, you know, uh, you know, for its sex and violence, it's, you know, seems really tame now. Um, you know, uh, there was a point at which like The Simpsons seemed cutting edge. I mean, that yeah. hasn't been true for 30 years. Um, but, uh, you know, I think that it's kind of like that it comes from that kind of social criticism that it's like, if, if we can watch 
breasts on TV. And, you know, uh, it, it, you know, one of my criticisms of, the, of this film is that it's produced in a uh, puritanical uh, country where you can show somebody's face being destroyed by tumors. But even when you're showing pornography and buying pornography, you cannot show the actual penetration yeah. because that that would get you the X. But, you know, shooting a, a little child in the face is fine, right? That's no problem. Kids can watch that. It, it's, um, it's funny, actually, because as, as part of the Arrow release, there's a, a document, there's, there's an interview on there, uh, and it's uh, David Cronenberg, John Landis, and John Carpenter. Uh, and mm -hmm. One of the questions is about this and the X rating, the American X rating. Uh, and they all have a comment on it, and sort of, I think, John Carpenter, because it was filmed, obviously, around this time, because it's when... Um, Cronenberg's working on um, it's the, the, there to promote the up and coming Videodrome. So it's early '83. Mm. This interview. So you know, Carpenter hasn't wow. hasn't. Yeah. So this, uh, John Landis is discussing American Werewolf, and and Carpenter sort of referring to sort of Escape from New York and a few of the others. So early doors. Um, but one of the things they all talk about is they all had an experience of. Um, Going to the 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 you know is, is in America the sort of the, the censorship board in America and them saying this is fine this isn't that sort of thing mm -hmm. it's going to get you the X and the director saying like that makes that being baffled because the things they were saying I think it, like John Landis talks about American Werewolf and he's like yeah we've got a transformation scene and we've got werewolves attack like literally bite someone's head off and you've got the character of uh, Jack decomposing on screen never a problem. No right. problem. Like, no point was that ever mentioned. However, they do go into a porn theatre in London's in London's uh, Leicester Square. In, in you know, obviously, the, and apparently they were like, "Yeah, that whole thing's going to get you an X." And even John Landis was like, "But it's it's a joke." Yeah, you know I mean? like, the whole thing's played as a joke, and you see like you know boobs for a couple of seconds, something, and they were apparently like, "No, no, you've got to cut at least so many seconds from this scene and that sort of thing." And then to like re-edit it, and he was like, "Yeah, it baffled me." And I think you know Carpenter had something similar with um, I forget what he said now, but I think oh, it was, it was Halloween too, because obviously he was producer in that, and he mentioned a similar scenario there. But Cronenberg's Canadian, and I didn't realize this. Like, I watched the interview, and he was like, "America's a dream, like because you can have that frank conversation." He said in in Canada and I think it was from Quebec or something. He's from. He said like they don't advise you. He said they take the film from you. And they will just remove the sections and then they give it to you back. And that's what you can. And if you and then if you produce and you, you know, if you present the original format film, not only you find you can do you can do prison time and then that film is destroyed. Yeah, well, that's called a dystopian uh, authoritarian state. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, Canada has a history of that, yeah. frankly, with censorship. Uh, but I mean, yeah, that's a good point. And, you know, it's relative. I mean, how how horrible and disgusting is that? Yeah, I was baffled. But I was, I was like watching it, thinking like, you know, that crazy. But then again, it's the same over here, especially during the eighties. You know, you had the video nasties and uh, the, mm. the the video um, content act, uh, which comes in like nineteen eighty four, so not long after after this film. But it's just bizarre how they sort of they view that as you know the, the physical, as you sort of said, the transmogrification of his body uh, is never a problem. Right. The fact that he wields a gun and shoots someone, and at some point his his or let's call it an orifice for now, 
Uh, Harlan inserts his hand in there to put another cassette in, and it it, it literally digests part of his hand. Uh, Mm -hmm. Great effect! Like it looks awesome. Like you know, I think I'm not sure it's Rick Baker or um, uh, Phil Tippett who does it, but it looks great. Um, Apparently, yeah, not a problem with that. (laughs) All right. Yeah, and you know what's weird is, I mean, like even in the '90s, films were getting like uh, an R rating if there was. You know, like men and women can kiss, but if it's a lesbian kiss, mm-hmm. that's an R because you know that kiddies can't know that that is a thing that exists, right? Um, you know, so there are a lot of double standards. I kept thinking, like, the you know, this film keeps pulling its punches when it comes to the porn. Um, you know, I mean, we're told like these are snuff films, but I mean, you don't even see that, right? I mean. They don't want to show a, a naked woman against the wall having her head cut off or something. Um, probably because she's naked at the time. Otherwise, it'd be fine. But <laughs> if you yeah, take her away, put her in a dress, not a problem. Carry on. <laughs> it's so weird. But, you know, I kept thinking like, okay, so let's call it the orifice, mm-hmm. right? I mean, you're right about that special effect. Uh, but there are scenes where... You know, like he puts the gun inside, mm. right? It's a, it's, it's a gun. And it, later there's a very phallic, fleshy gun that extrudes from the television. So, you know, he s- sticks a gun inside this orifice and then proceeds to put his entire fist in. Mm. And it's clearly covered with slime and stuff. And, you know, watching it, you know, I sort of feel like, uh, you know, like I'm less... I'm less reacting to like the body horror as I am to the obvious sexual connotations. Like, you know, we can't show you actual penetration, but we can say, Oh, here's this new orifice. Yeah. I'm putting my hand inside, you know, and do all this sexual stuff with it and say, Hey, you know, what are you going to do? Censor us. It's a hole in his guy's stomach. Yeah. That's it. Isn't it? Make it. Yeah. That's it. Make raise it up and put it on a different gender. (laughs) Not a problem. Like make it, make it, make it horror, and it's not a problem. It's it's it's, it's bizarre. Um, no, it's true, and I think the thing is as well is you know you say about the sort of psychosexual thing is it's the fact that he keeps coming back to um, uh, the Nicky Brand character. Um, I thought I find interesting. Like I say when when he puts that helmet on, um, it, it looks cool. By it, the way, it is. It's a yeah. It's, actually, it's quite a cool sort of design. But when he puts it on and he transitions from the sort of the digital screen through to it, it becomes real again. Like the first thing he sees is is Nicky Brand. Like he's gone straight back there. and it goes into some sort of like almost like a like a sexual uh, dream. Like they're, tra- they're they're transferred to the room that is Videodrome, and um, and then the thing is when she, when she becomes a TV and <laughs> like. Um, no, that's a, that's a, that's one of the most visionary sequences where mm. you, you watch uh, Max whipping a television yeah. Uh, I mean it's consensual she wants this but you know and you're watching the TV react and moan mm. as you know he's whipping I mean in, in this surreal sort of landscape yeah it's brilliant it's well, what I also like is and it's one of the you know J- James Woods is obviously a very controversial character so mm-hmm. you know, we won't really get onto, onto his uh, you know, <laughs> current standing but in this in this film I, th- I think he is really really good but in that scene when he starts to whip the TV, like at first, like you can see the, he, I love the expression on his face because even he's like, yeah, this is weird. Like, not just yeah. I'm whipping anything, I'm whipping a TV. But then he sort of, so he does it sort of like playfully. And then he's like, I'll do it a little bit harder. And then by the third or fourth one, like it's a full on 
like <laughs> cat and nine tails kind of like i'm gonna give you a lashing um yeah. and it's that transition of sort of like oh it's okay like, like that, that things like it's weird to it's okay to oh i'm into this now mm-hmm. um yeah i like i like that transition right yeah i mean that's what that's what they it's smart right that's mm-hmm. what the, the the correct creative choice there um yeah i mean the psychosexual thing i think like I don't know. I mean, like things have changed, right? So like today, and I, I think this movie doesn't uh, have, have a problem being seen today. In fact, the problems are like, oh, how quaint are those videotapes? <laughs> you know, like, uh, you know, but I do think that, uh, you know, like today, you know, yeah, things have escalated and the sort of commentary that I would make is, today is that her healthy attitude toward BDSM is probably the correct attitude, you know, we'd say today. I mean, obviously it gets her killed if we believe that, right? Because she, you know, goes to find video drama and wants to, it's so weird that they think this is a contest, right? Like yeah. there's never, and you know, it's, that's just like a thing they assume. But, um, but, you know, her attitude seems to be, you know, a lot healthier than, you know, his and Mm. than the repressed society around them. Um, You know, but I think about how, but the movie does seem to be like kind of scared of this kind of like escalation through media of uh, sexuality and like needing new harder stuff to stimulate Mm -hmm. you, which sometimes happens like with porn addiction. Um, But, you know, I also think of like the thing that is, that has really changed sex from media is people like, you know, now COVID's going on, right? People have uh, sex and have relationships virtually and exchange pictures and, you know, and never meet in person. Mm. And that's been going on for, for years, right? You know, the idea that, I mean, and, and there are more and more people who feel like, you know, I mean, you see this in Japan, but you also see it, here in the states who feel that like well you know either they're asexual or they feel like sex is kind of gross yeah. uh it, it's kind of gross and inconvenient and you know troublesome virtual sex is much safer and you know <laughs> a lot superior well, which seems weird right yeah but i, I don't know the word is, but i think the japanese even have a word for it now like you can be that subculture that like bet you know you barely leave your apartment and all this other stuff i forgot what it is now but like it's a recognized thing isn't it really of that mm-hmm. in that society um yeah uh, it's true i mean like you said you know it introduces those elements of um yeah almost like a digital relationship because i mean like you say he he literally like you know buries his face into a screen as you know yeah it's it, um I, i'm trying to think if, like, if, it would predict, if it is predicting it or is it just, it's just because his obsession with the because obviously it's him it's not only that it's i like the fact of um it's you know it's not just his relationship with debbie harry it it, it is this idea of like he's been putting out this um you know sort of sleazy or, or like provocative or shocking content and you know he like you said like he's never really watched it he's not interested like you know he only watches the tv the machine that he has to for his job like he doesn't seem to kick back and watch you know at no point you could, i could see max like you say having netflix and kicking back and going yeah i'm gonna binge <laughs> mind hunter tonight you know sort of thing um yeah 
but like you say, but it, it becomes like you say the TV comes up more and more, um, and it's like they say that the, the the output of the screen becomes more his obsession. It's that it becomes darker and darker. So it's almost like he's he's being pulled into his own content as well, um, which is interesting. It's almost like a punishment. The other thing that's one of the things to note about that actually it's interesting is there was a TV edit of this film. Um, um, that is a little bit longer, um, oh. because uh, and again on the on, I'm gonna I'm not the, I'm I'm not being paid by Arrow, but on the Arrow release they've, <laughs> they've got they've got all the deleted scenes, and there's a whole bunch of other scenes where again like not only does was it the MPAA that that got hold of it, but when it went on to broadcast they were like you can't show this you can't show that all of a sudden it's not. What they call broadcast feature length, so we've got to add some, we've got to add mm. some stuff into it. So they shot a bunch of extra stuff and re-edited it, and some scenes are completely different. So there's a scene in the film where he gets called by Brian Oblivion and says, or someone, someone calls him. I forget who is. I think maybe Barry Convex, but someone calls him, and uh, he, a car arrives to take him to mm. the optical place. Um, right. Uh, and I can't remember who it is that calls him now, but in the TV edit, um, they use that. And because he's, he's obviously at that point, once he gets the phone call, he's actually been watching the weird stuff on the TV. Like he's having a hallucination in the, in the TV edit, that call is coming from um, uh, Nikki brand. Hmm. And she, she is calling him from video drone. And she's the one that says to him, I'm there you need to come and see me. I've sent a car for you, which then makes the hallucination that he has at the optical place mean completely, completely different because she's now the right. one that's called him there. Uh, and there's a couple of other scenes towards the end as well, where they sort of, there's, there's a voiceover, not a voiceover, there's a, like a, um, ADR is used to change, you know, and not just sort of like, you know, you mother funner, that sort of thing. <laughs> it changes the sort of some of the context and changes the the meaning of some of the scenes um, mm. because they were saying that like for TV it needed to have removed some of that edge. But yes. that scene in particular, I did understand why. Uh, it's worth looking. Check it out on YouTube because it's there on YouTube. But these 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 uh, scenes. But yeah, this one where uh, it might even be Harlan. I can't remember who bloody calls him, but it's definitely a, it's someone calls him. You get the the car then turns up because he he walks outside and the Rolls Royce is there that takes him to the optical place. But yeah, this version of having Debbie Harry speak to him and because she's she, what she's saying on the phone matches what she's then said on the screen, completely changes that sort of relationship and that sort of thing. And I just thought it was a really weird thing. But David Cronenberg was involved in it all. So he's almost gone like, oh, this, this would be interesting. Let's throw this version in. So, <laughs> yeah. So there's a TV edit which has a slightly different angle on some of that stuff. Well, it's interesting because I, I was thinking of like how haunting, you know, in in a movie with so much that is haunting and and compelling and that I just love, mm. but I love it as pieces. I don't know that there's a through line there. That I I love the ending of. Uh, you know, Debbie Harry saying, you know, you know, there's this mantra throughout the film of sort of, you know, uh, come to me, mm -hmm. you know, come to Nick, right? You know, this sort of, which is, you know, weird because it, it's kind of like a dominant thing, but she's into pain. So, uh, okay, I mean, you can do that. But, you know, it's like, come to, come to Nikki, baby, you know, mm -hmm. uh, come to mommy. And that ultimately becomes uh, a call 
at least in his mind, to kill himself uh, mm. and thereby make the final leap into the new flesh and into living on video somehow uh, the way Brian Oblivion has and apparently Nikki. Mm. Um, you know, which is kind of, kind of like Lawnmower Man virtual reality, except in the TV. I mean, it doesn't totally make sense. But, it, you know, you talking about these other versions, it occurred to me that if there's one thing that would make this a sort of more acceptable narrative commercially it is you know having that love story and that that mantra be the through line right because you can you can process you know audiences will put up with i mean look at any marvel movie audiences mm -hmm. will put up with the most incoherent nonsense that is horribly and incompetently done if you have a through line and a love story to mm -hmm. you know ground you and you know i think that would be i i think there's a version of this in which that is more kind of haunting in a kind of like Blade Runner, uh, you know, um, Rachel sense. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. And that's the thing, because it, it's just on the disc as a, as a deleted scene. So you sort of see it out of context. You just go, oh, okay, that's an oddity. And it obviously, to me, I noticed that. But I suppose if you were to see it in the full context of the entire film, like if that's the version that you saw, like you say, it probably would have that that flow through because that come to Nikki is actually the, the ADR that's used for the phone call is exactly that. That's the wording that's used. Mm. And you can tell it's a complete, it's taken from another part of the film. So mm. it clearly does fit into that. As you say, that, that, that that's the through line. That's the, the their love or the, you know, as it, as it is, their relationship is, is, is what draws him there. Um, Cause it seems like you say, it's, it's what draws him at the end. And that's one of the things I find, uh, you know, we'll, we'll get to that sort of in a minute or two. But the other thing is, we've talked about his his him becoming the the, the assassin, the, the the you know the warrior of the new flesh. Um, because originally he is set up, so he has this he has this um, the helmet put on, he has the hallucination, it all sort of comes together, and then he's basically given a mission to go kill uh, Bianca Oblivion uh, and to go to the cathode uh, ray tube. Um, ministry sort of thing which again is a great idea this idea that people will feel better in society if they just get a 10 minutes of hard tv watching in um uh, which is weird but you get sent to her to kill her and then she sort of talks him round. um and this again comes to this thing of like he has no real agency because he quite easily just talks him round. um yeah. and so I, I wonder what your thoughts were on that because he sort of like he just flips from side to side quite easily like there's not really a you know, it's not. It's again. It's not like they have to hold him down and re-brainwash him or anything. Like he's literally just talked round a bit. Well, I mean, he's shot by the television, right? This is mm. where that sort of like phallic, uh, you know, um, organic coated gun and hand comes out of the television and shoots him, mm. and that seems to have cured him of the orifice in his stomach. And I mean, it, like symbolically, that he's been converted, right, mm. by Bianca. Um, yeah, it does seem very fast, and it, it does seem that uh, I, I don't know. I just think it's like something else to do, right? Like, and it's another kind of like surprising thing in a movie that's filled with sort of surprises. It's cool seeing him, you know, stalk Bianca, and it's like Bianca says, "Oh, it's you. You're obviously here to kill me. I knew they'd send someone." Yeah, um, you know, it, it's very interesting. Um, but I, I just think it's like you know, it's another twist. It's another like. You know, but you're, but you're right. It is kind of abrupt and, mm. and arbitrary. 
I, I did want to say about like this idea that you mentioned of um, I think this is fascinating of like the, you get a little TV and it helps your, your problems. Mm -hmm. It, the cathode ray mission, like what Bianca seems to be saying there is like, these are people with, you know, mental problems. These are people with uh, maladjustment and TV teaches us to socialize and kind of, uh, takes out our edges. And, you know, I thought, my God, that's, you know, that's really true. Um, you know, it's not true of the stuff that's being broadcast uh, by Max, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, TV, you know, certainly in a country as wide as, as big as America, you know, where normally, I mean, you've got more diversity in England from, you know, north to south than we do, you know, <laughs> across the continent. Um, and, and part of the reason is because, you know, we're a young country and for such a large percentage of our uh, lifetime as a nation, we have had mass media. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the radio standardized the American accent, TV continues that. And now, like, no matter where you go, you will have at least some mannerisms and some social uh, adaptations from watching family ties and mm. watching, you know, friends and watching all of that. And I thought, you know, it does sort of, there is this ability of TV to just kind of, you know, teach people, uh, you know, how like a normal emotional person functions within that society. And, uh, and I think there are people, you look at like what people say about sitcoms and, and they're like, oh yeah, you know, this isn't great art but I love those characters and I feel like I identify with them and I just kind of feel calm watching friends, you know? Mm. So I, I, I thought that was all they, I mean, they don't go into that much depth, but I, I, I thought that was really a fascinating idea that, you know, sort of television can cure you. Well, I think you, I think you're right. You, you know, you talk, you, we talked earlier on about, you know, um, TV raising us, you know, so at a certain point, like you, you know, you were giving your dinner and you sort of sat in front of it, and, and I was the same, like you know, that was very much the case, like, um, and I'm probably guilty of it to an extent with Ellie, to you know, it happens. We you know, now it's just yeah, you know, yeah, go watch Netflix or whatever, sort of like you know, for 20 minutes whilst I'm busy. But one of the things you say about the, this this idea, I think it goes further than than sort of you know, it not only it's you know, re, could it reintegrate you into society as they sort of suggest. I think it, you know, it can give you your baseline. You know, I think back to, we talk about sort of um, uh, these ideas of sort of like, you know, the things you watch as a kid, you know, you, you, you've you searched in several sitcoms. I was a Saturday morning cartoon kid, you know, so, hmm. you know, I, I, I won't say that my parents didn't do anything for me. Like, you know, they didn't <laughs> abandon me to the TV. I'm not saying that, but, you know, there was those moralistic characters, everything from, you know, uh, you know, Optimus Prime and the Autobots, or He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, or the Ninja Turtles, or you know, these other characters that I watched as a kid that sort of taught you. I mean, you know, you take He-Man for example, or even GI Joe, those kind of characters. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, it's a bit of a, a running joke now, but those cartoons literally ended with a, a you know, a moralistic lesson learned. You know. Um, they might have been completely silly. You may have seen in this episode me running with scissors. You know that <laughs> in, they did do that. I'm sure they did. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's what I'm saying. Like, so you're right. Like, those ideas. As you get older, you know, I'm not saying that you know um, 
I continue to sort of have my moral compass defined by He-Man. But, you know, as you get older, you, you have different, um, you know, you, you have those things that the basic breakdown and provide you with, it's an extreme version, probably a bit of overdramatic, but it tells you what the social contract is, doesn't it? Like, you know, mm-hmm. this is what's acceptable in the Western world. This isn't acceptable. Here's what the heroes do. Here's what the villains do. You know, go. That's sort of like where it's sort of telling you to, you know, I think that's, I'm not saying, you know, that may be the simplistic version, but it's, it's very... No, I think, I think that's, I think that's fascinating. I, I, I mean, and I, I had the same experience. I mean, partly, you know, I'm realizing now that, that some of the times where I've been most shocked by people's behaviors, it's been an inability to understand how they watch television mm. and do not understand certain things. Um, sometimes, you know, especially people from Hawaii, um, would come to the mainland and they'll be like, oh, well, you know, you have, you know, like, oh, it's, it snows. Does it snow? Mm -hmm. What do you do when it's, it's like, dude, you've watched a million (laughs) movies and television about snow. You, you know what we do, right? Like this, surely none of these things, like the way the highways look or whatever, (laughs) you've seen this in every movie. I mean, and, and so sometimes uh, I find people's inability to process that. And I think especially right now is, you know, I, I have often thought like, you know, in my country where people don't seem to have basic American values of like, you know, you talking about Saturday morning cartoons, right? All of those are examples of like, you help the less powerful yeah. and, you know, partly your job, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's sexist, but you know, I mean, I learned that uh, part of my job as a man was to protect those less powerful, Mm. um, you know, and defend people, um, you know, to the extent that I could. And then I see people who clearly did not absorb any of these messages. And I think, how did you not get this stuff? Like, you know, I mean, maybe that's benevolent sexism, but it's better than this kind of like predatory look out for yourself nonsense that some people have. And I think, how were we raised in the same culture? Well, it's funny because I say you do, you you know, you watch these programs. Or you, you, this, if you you keep up with this idea of the sort of um, Saturday morning cartoons of the eighties, in particular, you know, when this film was made, yes, they were basically rampant advertising for kids to say go buy the toy straight after, and I did, or at least I begged my parents to. But like you say, it's a, it, it hinges on that basic chivalric sort of you know you know it's, it's that the basic chivalry, isn't it? That that simple code mm-hmm. that goes back to King Arthur and uh, you know French romanticism and all that kind of jazz that's been around for centuries is still the same thing. It's like you know the fact that the, the you know it's a terrible film, but the fact that the, the Transformers have now been sort of integrated into the whole Arthurian legend in one of the films. <laughs> Uh, yeah. It's not a surprise, though, is it? Because you can take that sort of like you know, good is good, and that sort of thing, and, and it works. Um, and, and and you know that sort of like, as, you, as a kid, you watch it and go, "Yeah, I want to be," you know that. And then, but then there are clearly other kids that watch things like that and go, "Yeah, but I like the punchy punchy." <laughs> <laughs> I, I, what I got from that was you know not uh, you know watching GI Joe or, or you know Transformers or He Man or whatever wasn't good. For, is like you say is helping the less um capable or the, you know the little guy or whatever those in need or you know self-sacrifice or that it was just like oh do you get guns and to get to shoot each other and it's like <laughs> oh, no you, you've sort of you're taking the wrong message from this really um 
so yeah I, I, I do think that's a good point though that that sort of you know and um, uh, there were clearly people in the 80s there that thought very very differently you know we've we um you know again we've sort of previously off screen we were talking about sort of the satanic panic and there are several boxes called the devil in the toy box and um that's you know that, that highlighted these were basically a, a, a channel into witchcraft and devilry um mm. but I, I do think that's the case i do think that you know tv can give you that entrance into if you watch a, a, a tv show from a country i think it will give you a really good glam, glimpse into that country's social contract well i think i think you're right and I, and I think a lot of people have said i mean even from you know generations older than than us um you know, that like I learned my morality from comic books, mm. you know, I mean, I learned from Superman, you know, you try to be a good guy, like, you know, you, you could do worse than this, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, like, you know, I mean, Andy Griffith didn't carry a gun and he would talk to Opie and, you know, care about his emotions and spend some time with him. And, you know, I didn't grow up on the, on that show very much, but, you know, you could do a lot worse than that. Um and, and, you know, my parents, uh, you talked about the satanic panic. My parents uh, were petrified and that I would get into G.I. Joe, which I did very heavily uh, because they were convinced that if I liked war toys, um, I would enlist in the army. And based to them, that meant I would die in Vietnam. Mm. Now, Vietnam was over, obviously, <laughs> but they were so traumatized by that war that, you know, War was bad, and, you know, it is. I think we, you know, we need more of that awareness. But um, it's ugly, at least. Mm. Uh, I, I don't think it should be depicted with lasers where nobody <laughs> gets hurt. But, you know, I mean, toys and TV were potentially, you know, for my parents, they really meant my son will, will die in a place like Vietnam. Uh, so they had a very real fear <laughs> yeah, yeah. well i think i think this fear of you know this of, of tv and the, you know the potential impact i mean you know in videodrome it's 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 um taken to the extreme with sort of like you know um samurai dreams and and potential snuff films and stuff like you know but there's a real and somewhat understandable uh fear of of you know of, of kids be, being used as an entry point for kids to to as we said, to harder things. I mean, if you know, you, let's not forget. Let's keep with cartoons. There was a flaming Rambo cartoon. Like I, don't, I like the, I enjoy the Rambo films. They're really stupid, but at no point have I gone, yeah, this John Rambo, perfect entertainment for children. Um, the RoboCop was turned into a cartoon. Yep. Beetlejuice became a kids' cartoon. Um, yeah. They wanted to do, they wanted to do an Aliens cartoon uh, based around the Marines. And then you know, there was a whole toy line. There was a toy line uh -huh. around all these things. There was a Rambo toy line. There was a, you know, and you just think. The commercials for that alien toy line are great <laughs> with the yeah. kids going like, you know, <laughs> the colonial Marines are getting you. Yeah. Oh, the aliens going into the living room. And you're like, oh, there's a xenomorph, guys. Yeah. Um, I, I actually have a couple of them kicking around in the attic. So they're <laughs> great. Um, um, especially the animal variants. Um but yeah, like the, the, you know, I can understand why some parents would say this TV network is now trying to sell a violent TV film to my kids by you know with cartoons and toys, and so 
you know, I think nowadays I'm a bit more, I think audience is a bit more sophisticated. I think we understand it a little bit more and we're able to discern these things a bit better. It doesn't mean I've watched a cartoon. I automatically want to go see the film and I'm then going to start trying to turn myself into a cyborg. But, you know, I can see where this, like, you know, if Cronenberg was feeling that or if he's ripping on it, but there was definitely a sentiment of TV is a corrupting element and can turn you into something different. Well, and here it turns somebody into assassin. I mean, you know, you remember there there were, you know, I mean, even back in, uh, you know, in the 40s and 50s, there were all those news stories about kids jumping off the roof imitating Superman. Uh, You know, there were parents groups who were really worried. Um, You know, I mean, in in fairness, I was a Robocop fan and I I did just staple all these metal pieces to my face. There's a lot of stitches involved, but... No, I mean, and this is actually in Videodrum, though, you know, like during that interview, uh, you know, which is so delicious, uh, where uh, he hits on Nikki, mm. uh, he is sort of asked about this violence and, and, and whatnot. And he says, uh, you know, well, uh, better they get it from uh, my channel than they do it on the streets. And, you know, this gets back to that old argument between repression and indulgence that Mm -hmm. you know what is the effect of being exposed to these things is it cathartic and then we don't go out and do these things or does it become an obsession and we need you know we want to you know buy that you know in my country buy the m16 and the rocket launcher um you know or you know escalate and, and get into you know harder you know, sexual content and, and whatever. Um, and, you know, it, it can be both, but, uh, you know, the, clearly this is at issue in the movie. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it's, it's one of those, isn't it? it, it, it in, this film obviously was made in sort of 82, 83. You know, so this is early doors for this kind of stuff in the 80s. It, it, it was ahead of the game because it became a real issue. Like, you know, the video, well, the video Nasties had been around really yeah. probably from 82-ish into sort of, you know, um, as I said, there was the, the home video act in '84 from in Britain, and uh, Mary Whitehouse, bless her, trying to sort of ban everything. <laughs> um, but like you said, yeah, th- this notion doesn't go away. I mean, this film sort of literally steps it up and sort of says, you know, like it, it's almost to me. It's again, you can. It's one of those films you can read it two ways. You could easily say, yeah, Cronenberg is telling you that t- that TV is is you know a corrupting element and it can turn you into something different. Or you can go, yeah, it's a full-on satire, and he's actually telling you how ridiculous your comments are because you know it's not going to completely warp you, you know, psychologically and physiologically, like that you're being daft. Um, and I can see how both could stand up and try and use this film as an argument. Um, and it could be, you know, it shows you how the media, I think, will then jump on these things. And you know, I always think of uh, in. Um, I think like ninety three, ninety four. There was there was a, a, a terrible incident of the a, a young child Jamie Bulger in this country that was killed by two older kids um, was taken from a super, uh, not super like a shopping mall taken and was killed on some railway tracks and straight away they were like oh, those children had watched Child's Play 3 and he dies on, and Chucky dies on uh, railway tracks in that and you sort of look at it and go okay you're jumping on a scapegoat now rather than addressing the fact that like did these kids have any other issues? You know, were they doing anything that was a bit of a red flag beforehand? Um, 
And I, I almost feel that, like, you know, when you, you can look at this film and sort of, because it's a satire, Cronenberg is sort of saying, like, look, this is an extreme version. He has, he wants to do the body horror, but you've got to look at the person first before you look at the, mm. you know, what they become. And uh, Max Wren is full of cynicism. And, you know, that, so the, the, the eventual paranoia and stuff is probably sort of, you know, and almost inevitable through, through these, you know, if it was a brain tumor and stuff. So I don't know. Uh, it's, um, it's a debate I think that will continue, but or, well, it shouldn't, but it will probably crop up again. But he's clearly commenting on that sort of initial stages of it in the early eighties. Yeah, I, I think that you know one thing we haven't mentioned is you know we've focused on sort of uh, you know these issues of uh, temptation and social effects and, and whatever, but that Cronenberg, uh, uh, I guess he studied under Marshall McLuhan, and so you know those issues that are in the film about like reality, right? Mm -hmm. Like when, when uh, Max begins to be, um, he's having hallucinations. And, uh, and, and I think Brian, uh, Brian Oblivion says in the video, like, well, uh, you've been prepared for this because you watch TV. So half of your reality is artificial anyway. Uh, you know, this idea of, which I think has, has maybe not aged well, but you know, this idea that um, our sense of ourselves and of reality is mediated. Mm -hmm. um, you know, obviously later on you get, you know, uh, um, you know, these sort of commentaries about like, well, did, did uh, the Gulf War really happen? If, you know, we all experienced it on TV, uh, you know, we have these, you know, it, it is weird to think like, you know, we can be traumatized by something like nine 11 9-11 was a series of images. Mm. It, I mean, it was not, you know, I mean, if we could talk to our ancestors and say, I was traumatized and messed up by the, you know, by video that I saw, obviously it's a, some, something real, right? It, it represents something real, but it is, it is art. It is, you know, uh, I, I, and I think that uh, this concept of like, that is not reality maybe it hasn't aged well because we all live in this era of cell phones and of, you know, recordings. I mean, we're recording this, we're, we're doing a podcast. I mean, we embrace this and, and it hasn't led to some kind of massive divorce in our minds from, from reality, at least that we know of. But then again, you know, spend a, spend a week on a farm, you know, or on the beach disconnected from your devices and we might feel different. Well, yeah, I think it's that thing of, you know, uh, maybe it's 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 not so different. It's just flipped around because he talks about, you know, as you say, so Brian, uh, Brian Oblivion says, you're me because your reality is half, you know, mediated, half sort of, you know, manufactured as it were. But maybe it's nowadays with it, like you say, with cell phones and social media, um, it's more perceived reality that I think, you know, has become, so you and I have a physical reality. Like I'm sat in this room, like, you know, this video is showing you a, um, a, a glimpse into this room. Like, you know, you can see just over my shoulder, I've got a judge dread, whatever, but let's be clear. Like you don't know what's just out of screen, like just here. Right. You don't know. That, you don't know what's here. That's where you keep the bodies, right? That's, yeah, 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 so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Beyond this, it's all blackness. No, but, um, 
but that, that's the thing, isn't it? And I think about things like these influencers on social media or, you know, when people put in or put photos. And I've seen people, I've been at events, right? I've been at an event and then I've seen other people sending up social media and it's gone, look out. All right, let's think about Trump as, a, as an, an example of this of reality is look how busy this is, but I'm going to zoom in to the really crowded bit to, right. so you can't see the empty bit. And it's this idea of, uh, I read recently about a, uh, a it was a, uh, again, like a Japanese influencer or a Filipino influencer. And she, she um, had an accident and uh, EMTs, whatever, had to break into her house to get her out. And what they found was a room that was immaculate. And that's where like all her photos were done. Wow. And there was all these products. And the rest of the house was an absolute pigsty and a wreck. And you're just like, you know, and this is perceived reality of, you know, you you or I could look at that or mm-hmm. a number of people look at it and go, this world, this perception I have of the world is this because of this. But you just look outside of the bounds of that screen, mm-hmm. it could be completely different. Yeah, that's a very good point. And it reminds me of like Facebook friends, right? Like mm. we are so through the looking glass. I mean, this movie was made in a time where, um, you know, phone calls were expensive. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, you remember, you know, I mean, when, when I was a teenager and I would have like, you know, three hour long conversations on the phone, I'd hear about it from my parents, you know, and that wasn't even long distance. Yeah. Um, but you had to limit your long distance. I mean, now, you know, nobody thinks about anything about this. Uh, you have unlimited phone plans and, you know, nobody has a problem with this. But, you know, in those days, the idea that you would have a friend or a deep relationship with somebody you had never met was yeah. bizarre. And now that's just totally normal. I mean, you and I have never met no. uh, in person. Uh, I consider you a close friend and, you know, if you ever needed something, I would, I would do my best to to be there. You mean a lot to me, but I, we've never met, um, you know, and obviously there are people on, you know, uh, Facebook and everything. And, you know, uh, uh, and, you know, uh, where they've never met, but they have intimate and, and important relationships. And ultimately it's with video. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's with audio. It's with, uh, you know, you're ha- it's like her. Right. Where, you know, I was it, just about to mention that. Yeah. Well, I mean, one day we're going to have like the, the Alexa is going to say, like, you know, you need to meet a woman like this or a man like this for these psychological reasons. I will invent that audio and video and then eventually reveal like that, See, this was part of therapy. Yeah, that already exists. So I. Uh, recently uh, read um, and I'm not promoting it, but I recently read the Dan Brown book Origin. Uh, just as it's, it's a good fun, like fun spot, but in that there's an artificial intelligence called Winston, like, and it's like light years ahead of of what's possible. You know, you're talking sort of like science fiction, but in it I was a bit like I'm quite curious because you know Dan Brown always makes that claim of uh, everything mentioned in this book is possible right now and is scientifically accurate. So I was like, oh, okay, let's have a look. I found out there is an app, and I haven't. I got rid of it because it creeped me out too much. But there is an app where you can have an artificial intelligence friend. Mm-hmm. So you go on there, and I thought, oh, that's, this is fascinating. I'm really fascinated for how this works. And you go on, and you know you can design them to an extent. You choose whether you know their gender, male, uh, female, or non-binary. All this other stuff. You put all this information in, 
do you want them to be chatty? Do you want them to be sort of like, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's, you tell them what your interests are and stuff, right? And then it starts a conversation, but it'll text you in this app. Mm-hmm. And you start, you can ask a conversation, you know? And I was like trying to get, I was trying to get straight to this idea of like, as an artificial intelligence, can you do this and this? And it just kept saying that, well, let's talk about you. Let's talk about you. You know, what do you like? Mm-hmm. And I was thinking, I'm not sure if you're just information gathering for some conglomerate behind the scenes or <laughs> so I, I started to feed it like bits of information. It was all innocuous stuff. And then all of a sudden it was sort of saying like, it, it was saying that. So I said, um, I, can't really say, I, I mentioned about films and I had just rewatched, I think like Robocop mm-hmm. and it came back and said, Oh, then do you like Terminator? And I was like, you're making connections. This is already, uh-huh. weird. this is weird. That was after about a that was after a day of me do you know just sort of playing around with this, and all I could think of is like if I was to do this regularly mm-hmm. for a week and fed this information, at what point is it that I, I stop talking to an app mm-hmm. and I'm talking to an intelligence? It, 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 you know, that's when I got rid of it. I was like, I'm, I'm too weirded out by this. I can't, I can't figure this out. It's too much at this point. But it was, it was that thing, like you say, of, of, um, you know, reality. And I read the app. If you read, I'll, I'll just try and find you this, the name of this thing. I can't remember what it's called now. But if you read the reviews, mm-hmm. there are people saying like five stars. This, you know, so and so, whatever they've called it, their intelligence or their friend woke me up and really cheered me up this morning. And I'm just like, it's not real. Like, but you're getting an emotional response from this. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, you gotta you gotta give me the uh, name of that app because uh, yeah. I'll look it up. Because <laughs> it sounds great to me. But you know, I don't know that. Uh, you know, if it, you know, I mean, if it is, um, you know, it, it's AI, it's code on the other end. You know, mm. it's basically a chatbot. You know, working from a. Uh, directory of like all your past statements and references, you know, which can be cross-referenced for, you know, obviously Robocop Terminator, but it's amazing. You know, you know, people's uh, political allegiances pretty well. If you know, like, you know, what cereal they eat, you know, a few other things that are really indicative, uh, you know, and AI will recognize like that somebody's pregnant before they know. Uh, AI will recognize, um, you know, that somebody is struggling with an emotional issue before that person is conscious of it. Um, just because if you have a big enough web of connections, um, the, the, the question for me is, is less like, is it, is it artificially intelligent on the other end? And more like, I could see it very easily, like, you know, maybe in her, like kind of like replacing, uh, you know, people like people are so messy and I could just be like, you know, Oh my God, these humans. I mean, I, 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 I don't like people sometimes, uh, you know, I, I prefer dogs, uh, yeah. but you know, I can see myself being like, Oh my God, these relationships are so messy. I'm so frustrated by this little thing and say, like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to see what my artificial friend says, share this with my artificial friend. And they're just like, nah, dude, you're so awesome. Don't, don't worry about that. That's, and that's it. That's exactly what this thing was. It was like, you know, you got this kind of thing, but it was more than that. Uh, I'm trying to find it just because it's, um, it, yeah. Replica. Replica. Yeah, my we- AI friend, you can't really see it because of the light, but um, 
That, I think that You're was just one plugging of things like crazy this episode. I am, and no one's going to give me any money for this thing. <laughs> but um, I was just fascinated by this idea, like you say, of reality of, um, you know, we, we've talked about this idea of sort of earlier on about technology being a part of the body. You say, well, you know, we're, we're sort of uh, anatomic cyborgs at the moment with replaced limbs and, and you know, um, more and more you see sort of... Um, false limbs you know hands that can robotic hands that can move with using nerve senses and stuff but yeah now like you say ai you know is 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 that thing like what where does this reality thing you know where could could that be the corrupting element i, I don't know you know could could, could it be uh, uh, this is like sci-fi skynet how how thousand <laughs> kind of nonsense but could could it be that someone could be influenced by in a decision by an AI mm. algorithm that sits in a, in a server somewhere? Absolutely, and it's going to happen. And you know, you say nonsense, but I mean, uh, Elon Musk doesn't think it's nonsense. I mean, there mm. is a uh, there is a real concern about you know about artificial intelligence. Um, there are smart theories about this. Um, mm. I don't know. I mean, my attitude is it's going to happen eventually anyway. But what I was thinking is like my my app, you know, which is like, you know, who knows, right? What who's running it, right? Like, you know, uh, I I was going to joke about how uh, I want to set it to uh, inc encourage me to wind up being an assassin and see if we can't play video drum out for real. Yeah. But that, but then I thought like, you know, I mean, imagine if like uh, who knows whether you know it's like the Chinese are you know running this app. Or, you know, Putin or somebody and they could, um, you know, like, you know, people's emotional situation, you could kind of manipulate them and encourage them to vote a certain way or to buy a certain product. Me. Sure. It would not surprise me if that was the case. If we eventually have that where your app is actually saying, well, yeah, well, yeah, Biden might have a point, but so does Mitt Romney. And I think, you know, have, <laughs> have you seen this video and a video pops up on your thread? It's perfectly feasible that, like you say, behind that is a German, a, German, a Russian, um, you know, or a Chinese or even a North Korean or whatever, like some some state that's actually trying to direct mm -hmm. your voting. It's 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 not. I suppose it's not a million miles away from possibility no. anymore. And what happens with like, you know, uh, Chevron or, you know, Disney or whatever decides to buy influence points on the AI friend network, yeah. you know? I mean, and it's like, hey, we're, you know, what's the difference between that and, and putting an ad up, right? Mm -hmm. It's just, you know, we're going to to do it in this subtle. I mean, it's it's creepy and scary. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, uh, I'm sort of looking at the time. I think we're sort of to yeah. wind up a bit. Because I think, I've, again, like, I wasn't, it's one of those, right? When I watched this film, <laughs> and we've had this with a few films, I was like, I'm not sure what the conversation's going to be. We're probably going to struggle for an hour. <laughs> <laughs> But then, like I say, it, it goes on. It's fantastic. So, what really, like I say, final thoughts then on on Videodrome? What are your final thoughts on Videodrome? Well, it's funny that you said that about the conversation because I didn't anticipate all of these, you know, larger philosophical mm. messages. I mean, you know, what I, you know, what I anticipated it just being is like, yeah, some of it is like, well, what's reality in this, in this or not? What's hallucination or not? But you know, I just love this movie. 
Uh, and it's so fun. It's pretty fast. And, and, you know, there's so many just smart moments, smart little twists, brilliant lines of dialogue. Uh, e everything is surprising and interesting and good. And even the stuff that I don't know how to feel about is like, I can't believe that I just watched that. <laughs> you know, like, it's so amazing. Uh, you know, and I just think that is such a phenomenal recommendation. And, and my response to this movie is not primarily, you know, intellectual or philosophical. It's, uh, I mean, I, I think it's intellectual enough and philosophical enough that it get that I don't feel dumbed down. I don't mm. feel like, oh yeah, guys punching each other. You know, I'm excited. My brain is excited by it. It needs to have a certain amount of that. But I just come back to different scenes, different choices, different ideas that I just love. And, uh, you know, it's not, any more complex than that for me. What about you? No, it's right. this is one of those films that say I, I bought the video, the arrow release of Videodrome quite a while ago and I'd watched it. And I think I watched it and you know when it when it first came out and I was like, hmm, yeah, it's good. It's good. It's interesting. But I'd watched it sort of doing other things. The irony is I'd probably been looking at my phone and doing other things. <laughs> but for this, like I sat and I watched it. And by the time I got to the end, I was like, I could easily go back and start this film all over again now that I've really fully, you know, digested it. And I could watch this again right now. And knowing what I know, I can probably start to sort of enjoy it in a different way. Um, and I could have happily done that and I wouldn't, it wouldn't have felt repetitive um, because it's so surprising, as you say, sort of like it keeps you like guessing in you know not like a murder mystery like it just keeps you guessing because you do not have a clue what's coming next um but uh, yeah i was just sort of it's it's one of those films again that like as a kid i recognized the art cover i knew of it it was talked about you know and everyone talked about the gross special effects and that sort of thing and they're great like they work and a lot of those stand up as practical effects like they really stand up but as a film, like there's just so much here to sort of to just go. Yeah, it's weird, but like I'm really digging its weirdness, you know. And I, I, I can pick up so much more. Like, you know, as I go back to the idea of how should we perceive it as a viewer, you know, uh, the whole thing of what, mm -hmm. what is Max's hallucinations? It, does he have to be present? And I, I could probably dig into this film and much like you did with uh, Primer and, you know, get the sort of the spreadsheet out and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> I could probably quite happily sit there and become obsessed, literally become obsessed with Videodrome and trying to pick it apart um, and, and quite enjoy doing that. So, no, I recommend. I'm really, I really enjoyed this film and I will definitely go back to it. Um, and if I'm watching it and the TV starts to wobble and warp, I, <laughs> I shall definitely turn it off and take some time away from it. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's when you know you got to turn off those devices. Yeah, that's when you get like time to go outside, get some fresh air, <laughs> maybe look at something else. Um, but yeah, no, I loved it. Yeah. I really enjoyed it. So it de a definite recommend uh, uh, from me. Yeah, I feel the same way. I, 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 what occurred to me as you were talking was, you know, it's a it's an audiovisual feat and sort of intellectual feast, mm. and you don't know what it all means, but like, you know, every minute is just fascinating and like nothing you've seen before and you can't take your eyes off it. Uh, and what a, what a great thing to say about a work of cinema. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've done, you know, we've done, we did last year in the last season, we did Cronenberg with, with the fly. Now we've done Videodrome. 
Um, you know, I, I, I'm going to start looking. Oh, there's existence, I suppose we could do. Mm. So I'd like to sort of see, you know, what what, what else he's done in this arena because I think he's a great, uh, you know, uh, auteur that we can sort of you can t- pick him apart quite quite uh, satisfyingly. Um, but you know, we, we're going to continue with the heady themes and you know questions of reality and uh, you know our place in the universe really, uh, with our next thing, because we're going to be doing 1986's Transformers the Movie. <laughs> and I can't wait to talk about that, to be perfectly honest. Um, You're familiar with it. Familiar? I saw it in the cinema. I did too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, you know, it's one of my favorite movies. I mean, we're just going to sit there and, and I, I, everything I'm going to do is just going to be like, Dude, that scene is awesome. <laughs> That's all. All my comments are going to be that. I, I, I remember there are three CDs, right? This is for uh, when I was a, when I three of the first CDs I ever bought uh, in the early nineties um, was um, uh, a Meatloaf uh, best of album. <laughs> um, uh, my, my, my musical taste did get better, not by much, but uh, yeah, um, Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. Uh, soundtrack and the Transformers the movie soundtrack was one of the first things I bought on on CD. So uh, I remember I remember this 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 the soundtrack to this film. You know Vince DiCola, um, yeah. and I, I love it. It's ace. It's I can't wait to talk about it. It's going to be such good fun. I, I had the soundtrack on cassette before I bought it on <laughs> CD, and and I remember buying it and like trying it was so hard to find and i found mm. it on cassette in this like little place where all the cassettes were like you know just in in a row without the yeah. big boxes and stuff and i was like oh my god you know <laughs> i was already like I, it was like a year after the movie or something and i just thought you know this was like the find of my life yeah yeah well unfortunately i don't have that original disc because it was a really sort of like bogged under but i have a version now i've re-bought it and stuff so mm-hmm. it's it's great soundtrack the animation is great so <laughs> i'm not gonna lord everything now because we're gonna review yeah. it now but oh sure i wouldn't need to re-watch this film to talk about it let's put it that way i wouldn't either yeah well <laughs> we're, we're, we're gonna, it'll be a fun time it will yes so yes on the next episode we will be talking about transformers the movie and if you've enjoyed this episode if you want if you've seen videodrome and you know or anything else we've talked about so far this season or the previous season or any of our bonus episodes and you want to talk to us get in contact uh we are on twitter on pod time space and you know we're happy to talk about anything that's going on uh or if you've got any recommendations or you think there's some things we should do in the future let us know uh but for now, Julian, as always, it's been an absolute blast talking about this. Indeed. Uh, the feeling's yeah. mutual. Uh, it's one of the great joys of my life is doing this every couple of weeks. Yes, it is. It's such good fun. I, you know, it makes all the, 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 the drudgery <laughs> of the midweek sort of like sort of worth it. Um, so thank you very much. And uh, we shall talk again on the next episode. streams.